This is What Am I Doing Here, the podcast. Give us 15 minutes and we'll give you the world. My wife woke me up with horrible news. Good news! We can visit Libya now. It was 2006. Libya was ruled by a crazed dictator, Muammar Gaddafi. He lived in a bulletproof tent, surrounded himself with virgin female bodyguards, had a morbid fear of elevators, and always traveled with a voluptuous nurse. He wasn't even a Bond villain. He was an Austin Powers villain. He was also a leading sponsor of world terrorism from Israel to Northern Ireland. America didn't like Libya, and after we bombed them in 86, They weren't crazy about us. And yet somehow, suddenly, we were all friends, so my wife booked us a 10-day tour. We could monitor the delicate dance of U.S.-Libyan relations through our visas. They were issued, withdrawn, reissued, and in one three-hour period, canceled and re-reissued. Finally, we got word that the trip was on. We'd spend Christmas in Libya, which is a very bad title for a Bing Crosby song. I arrived on a cold December morning. My luggage did not. Our guide and our driver didn't show up either. We took a cab to our hotel in Tripoli where they informed us the power would be out for the next two days. As we lay in our dark, freezing hotel room, I said to my wife for the first time, but no, not for the last, you wanted to come here. When our tour guide arrived, I was delighted to see he was obese. Here's a traveler's tip. You always want to have a fat tour guide because they choose the meals. With this guy, it was a 10-day non-stop banquet, and every meal, including breakfast, featured fresh-baked bread, rice, and french fries. It was carb-tastic. It was starch-tacular. The guy's name was Abdul, really, and he sported a black beard and white robes. He was a walking cliché right up until the moment he opened his mouth. Hello, my precious sweeties. I know you. I know you. I know you. Abdul was gay, but he was born in a country, in a culture, and in a religion that condemned it. Oddly, this is a nation where male friends walk down the street holding hands, but my wife and I were told not to. Abdul chose the tour guide life, forever on the road, delaying an arranged marriage his parents had set up. We encountered the same situation with our guide in Myanmar. He said, I have a fiancé back home. My parents chose her. She is very ugly. I once asked the tour guide in Honduras, how many men in your business are gay? He replied, all of them but me. Abdul was delighted my luggage was lost. He rubbed his hands together and said, Let's go shopping! He took me to a bus station parking lot where I bought the beautiful $3 sweater I'm wearing today. In the Persian Bazaar, I got six pairs of fake Calvin Klein underwear for two bucks. I wore them for years in America, secretly knowing that my underpants were an enemy of the state. My father thought we were crazy to come here. My mother was worried sick. After all, I'm not just an American, I'm a Jew, and I look really Jewish. I put myself through college modeling for hate literature. Mel Gibson paid for my senior year. Well, guess what? The Libyans look really Jewish, too. Or maybe I look Libyan. All I know is three-quarters of the people I met there would start chatting with me in Arabic. The other quarter spoke to me in Italian. We all look alike. 
This included Gaddafi. He looked just like my Uncle Lou, who runs a fish market. Gaddafi's face gazed down at us from every billboard in the country. He was also on t-shirts, keychains, and bumper stickers. I even saw the man himself. He drove right past me, waving happily to crowds from his motorcade. Or maybe it was Uncle Lou from the fish market. Gaddafi watched over us in another way. A state security guard accompanied our tour guide at all times, ensuring that we only heard the official version of life in Libya. One day, Abdul told us a horrific story of his brother being imprisoned for four years without a trial. He then pointed to the security officer and added with a chuckle, If that fellow understood English, he'd hang me upside down and put a bullet in my head. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe it wasn't. To us, the security guard was a pleasant young man who insisted on carrying our luggage everywhere. It led to the oddest debate I ever had with my wife. How much do you tip the government goon? The affable secret policeman was just one of the many paradoxes we encountered in Libya. For example, there's not a drop of alcohol to be found in the country, but the people are happily smoking themselves to death. Muslim law forbids booze, but other countries get around it. Iran has a busy bootlegging trade. They will bring top shelf hooch right to your door. And in Saudi Arabia, supermarkets stock grape juice right next to yeast, right next to sugar. All the ingredients you need for homemade wine. We we were a small tour group, no surprise there, but it included a retired archaeology professor. I hated this guy. If it wasn't about archaeology, he wasn't interested. And he assumed nobody else was either. Abdul would say, Today we visit an Arab spice market. Oh, I don't think anyone's interested in that. Tonight we eat barbecued lamb with a Bedouin tribe. Oh, I don't think anyone's interested in that. After that, we will hear Libyan folk singers. Oh, I don't think anyone's interested. Actually, I agreed with him on that one. We did spend Christmas in Libya, my first in a Muslim country. It was bizarre because it was just another day. To us it was Christmas, to them it was Monday. There was no caroling, no presents, no decoration. There was also no last minute shopping, no family fights, and no fruitcake. It was the best Christmas ever. No Christmas at all. The tour made a stop in Benghazi, the town that launched a thousand GOP investigations. This was not a hotbed of terrorist intrigue. It was a pleasant, modern suburb, as threatening as San Diego. But the highlight of the trip was a visit to Leptis Magna. It's an ancient Roman city whose impressive name translates to Big Bunny. For millennia, Arab invaders ignored it. They preferred nomadic tent life to big cities of stone. As a result, Leptis Magna is completely intact. You could stroll its broad avenues, explore its side streets, and browse the once bustling market stalls. The archaeology professor was in 7th dynasty heaven, but he couldn't understand why none of us liked his corny professor jokes. He never realized that his students only laughed because he had the power to grade them. We were taking this trip pass-fail. That's an ionic column, so keep your eye on it. <laughs> what a Doric. My shoe size is the same as Libya's capital. Triple E. No one has bombed this bad in Libya since the U.S. Air Force. Hey!
On the final day of the trip, we returned to the airport. There, I was finally reunited with my luggage. Officials had ransacked it pretty well. $250 was missing. The government also seized my iPod, so I hope Gaddafi liked Maroon 5 and Weird Al Yankovic. A week after we got home, our travel agent informed us that the U.S. had once again broken off relations with Libya. We were the last Americans allowed into the country. Why? Because their leader was a lusty kook who aggravated the whole world? We've all had those. But with Gaddafi gone, Libya sank into civil war. Tourist travel has been shut down since 2014. My wife found the one small window when it was safe to visit, and I'm glad she did. Carpe diem, says my Uncle Lou from the fish market. Seize the carp. Now that I've told you how much I enjoyed Abdul, I might close with a little bonus feature. The The worst worst tour guides guides on on Earth. Actually, they weren't that bad, but when you're stuck with these guys for weeks in a small van, they can really get on your nerves. Take Dave Fellner, an American tour guide who took a large group through South America. He was disorganized, wasting hours on paperwork when we should have been touring. He kept us baking in a hot bus for an hour while he read us his terrible poetry. But mostly, I hated Dave's bad toupee. It was a red mop that perched askew on his head, fooling no one. It looked like something grave robbers stole from the tomb of Harpo Marx. And he insisted on balancing a goofy sun hat on top of the wig. Why? The toupee was already a hat. He wore a hat on a hat. Dave brought us down the Amazon. Brazilian tribesmen who'd never seen a white man before spotted this thing. Bad rug. They hooted. Shatner. We were sailing down another river, the Nile, in a felucca. That's a handmade wooden boat propelled by a single triangular sail. We drifted noiselessly under a fat Egyptian moon. Just me, the wife, the boat pilot, and our tour guide, Imam. I don't speak Arabic, but I could tell Imam had gently asked the pilot to stop looking at his phone. He gently told her to go felucca herself. At this point, Imam lost it. She started screaming at the pilot as we made our way down the the Nile. She was loud, angry, and like a trained opera star, never had to pause for breath. Her screams were non-stop, echoing off the ancient temples on either side of the river. When the ride ended, a mom hustled us off the boat, still yelling about the pilot. She finally took us to the National Museum, but instead of guiding us around, she just kept screaming. Finally, she threw us in a cab, screamed us goodnight, and sent us on our way. The next day, she came to the hotel to apologize. She'd been under a lot of stress, her mother was in the hospital, and then she had to put up with that goddamn boat pilot. She was off and screaming again. I'd heard the phrase to lose one shit, but I'd never seen it in person before. This woman had literally lost her shit. I pictured her tacking up posters reading, Lost. My shit. Have you seen it? We had another tour guide in Egypt named Rusty. This either referred to his orange hair or to the rusty brain beneath it. Rusty did the single dumbest thing I've ever seen a person do. Something so stupid I'm not sure I can do it justice. He brought us to a museum entrance that was boarded up 
chained with padlocks with a sign readable from 50 yards away. It said closed in three languages. Rusty walked all 50 yards up to the entrance, getting so close to it he actually bounced off the door. Is closed, he said. This is the kind of intelligence test they give to chimps. Even an octopus can pass it. Rusty failed. He also gave long, rambling lectures on Egyptology, even though he knew little English and fewer details. Cleopatra was around. The pyramids was around. Lots of dead people was around. Sand was around. Rusty is part of a rather large subset of travel professionals, the tour guide who is no help whatsoever. They come in two categories like shrimp, sweet and sour. Here's an exchange I had with a sweet guide in France. How long has this church been here? 85 feet, monsieur. No, how long? When was it built? Yes, it was built. Okay, so it's not a natural rock formation. No, lunch is included, but no soft drinks. Well, that's an excellent answer to a question I did not ask. The bathroom is down the hall to the left, right. Just go upstairs to the basement. At least this guy was nice. My guide in Ghana was spoiling for a fight. Was this a prison? No. The sign says it was a prison. No, it is a place where they keep badmans. A prison? No, it's how you call it, where you put prisoners. A jail? No. A brig? No. A dungeon? No. A hoosgow? No, it is a prison. Oh. These two tour guides live 5,000 miles apart. It's too bad they'd never meet. They'd have made a great comedy team. What Am I Doing Here was written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo. This week's episode starred Dan Adut, featuring Denise Reese as herself, with additional voices by Michael Yishow and Trevor Morris, Mike's Funny Doorman.